Have I got this one working, Ian? It says RF mute off. That's all right, is it? Okay. This week and next, um, a short series on the parables. Now, don't worry, we're not endeavouring to cover all of the parables in just two weeks. It's not working. <laughs> well, we can hear through this. But, uh, yeah, okay. I'll just turn that on. Okay. Oh. Right, many thanks. <laughs> uh, the first slide, please, if we could, uh, Brian. Thanks very much. Parables are not allegories. Uh, it's not that everything is going to tolerate. Um, parables are stories about real life, but where you can draw out a spiritual message or two. Jesus used them because he was a very good teacher. Sometimes he simply told it how it was, the facts. But good teachers know that learning is often helped by people working stuff out for themselves um, and drawing the conclusions. So this morning, we've got two parables which were told by Jesus just a few days before his crucifixion. And we find them in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Uh, and he first records the parable of the ten virgins, or bridesmaids, and then the parable of the talents. And I'll explain this in a minute. So they're linked to Matthew 24, where Jesus talks straightforwardly about the end times. My focus today, though, is really about what these real-life human stories tell us of human behaviour, what each of the parables might have meant to the disciples, and at the very end, then, we'll come to what the two parables might mean for us today. So let's first see the context when Jesus told them. The second slide, please. Thanks very much. Jesus and disciples, they entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Imagine a joyful and welcoming reception by the people. On the Monday, Jesus speaks openly to the people and to his Jewish challengers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then on the Tuesday, Jesus meets privately with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem's walls. And firstly, he tells it how it is, Matthew 24, end days, the second coming. And then you get the two parables we're covering this morning, which are in Matthew 25. Now, probably then the disciples didn't understand them, but Jesus must have known that they would remember those stories and one day they would understand. So let's first take the parable of the talents um, understanding first the parable and then what the disciples may have made of it. Now first an explanation. A talent in this parable represents an amount of money, not actually an ability. So it's a huge amount of money. Uh, in today's money it would be several years of a working man's wage as it was then. So I'm reading from the NIV and that uses the term bag of gold to get over the concept of talent. So let's read it. Next one. Thanks. That's the one. So again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. 
So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who's got 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's try to unravel it. Um, slide, the next slide if we could please, Brian. We've still got a problem. <laughs> Has the battery died? No, it says it's mute off, but it's not. I can make it with this one here, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. that's fine. So the master is going on a journey, a long one, well, years probably. He calls his three servants, and that's all the servants he had, and he entrusts them with his money, his wealth. They got differing amounts for each, reflecting their differences, their abilities. Money to be used by each servant on the master's behalf and for the master. First servant gets five bags of gold, uses it well, puts the money to work, doubles it, the master's pleased, and says so. Same with the second servant with two bags of gold. He doubles it. He's appreciated and rewarded exactly the same. If you've done well with this, I'll trust you with more. Come and share your master's happiness. Third servant is the one who's afraid of using the money. Too cautious, afraid of failure. Well, he just buries the money. He doesn't do anything useful with it. And then he returns it as it is. And the master says, well, you're a lazy, you're a wicked, you're a worthless servant. You could have at least banked it for the interest. The servant gets no reward. He is thrown outside, rejected. Now, there's no record of Jesus explaining it. 
just that he told the story. Now, it was told to the disciples privately at a very significant time. It was one of the last teachings of Jesus to his disciples before crucifixion. They must have remembered it and pondered on it. I wonder what they made of it afterwards. So let's go on to the end of Matthew's Gospel. It's a few weeks then after the telling of the parable. Much has changed. Jesus has been killed. All they'd believed in seemed lost. Disaster. The end of it all. Then Jesus had risen again, appeared to them, encouraged them, and Jesus had given them the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that then is the very end of Matthew's gospel account. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, 11 disciples. And imagine the disciples' reaction when told to go and make disciples of all nations. Disbelief? Well, yeah, Matthew says that some had doubts. Feeling of inadequacy, maybe? Did they think, oh, we humble folk? Well, most of us are uneducated. Well, Matthew, of course, you know your numbers and your letters because you're a tax collector. But the rest of us? Well, at least four of us, we're just fishermen. What can we do? And now we don't have Jesus physically leading us. And in any case, look at the threats. The Jews, the Jews that killed Jesus, they'll be looking for us. They know who we are. Mission impossible, too scary. Let's not even try. That would have been a very understandable human reaction on the part of the disciples at that point in time. But if at the time they remembered the parable of the talents, then they would have thought, hang on, remember that story Jesus told? That was one of the last things he told us. It must have been important, the one about the talents. The disciples may have said to each other, look, each one of us can do something. Each one of us has got some sort of talent in the sense of ability now. You, you're a good organizer. We always have some food. You, well, you're good at getting on with people. You empathize with them. And you, well, you're good at speaking. You're a good preacher. And you, well, you're good at praying. We've all got some talent, they might have thought to themselves. So did they then say, just like that parable, the master's blessed us differently, but each of us disciples has some ability? And in the parable, did they think, well, nobody in the parable was asked to do beyond their ability. What was important to that master in the story was what effort the servants made with what they had. So the disciples at that point in time had a choice. What type of servant was each of them going to be? Were they going to use to the full whatever ability they'd been given to do what the Lord had asked them? Or were they going to be afraid? bury their talents, do nothing, and risk being seen as lazy, worthless, wicked. Now, did they conclude then? Come on, he told us. Let's not be people who have been given abilities, but who won't use them. Next slide, please, Brian. So the message then that they would have drawn, I think, from the parable, as evidenced by their subsequent action, was something like, let's be bold and let's use the abilities that we've been given.
Right, I've got myself into a muddle. <laughs> Bear with. Right, we'll move on to the um, next, um, next slide, please, Brian. Right, this is the next parable, and this is from the Living Bible, um, and it's, again, Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. But only five of them were wise enough to fill their lamps with oil, while the other five were foolish and forgot. So when the bridegroom was delayed, they lay down to rest until midnight when they were roused by the shout, the bridegroom's coming, come out and welcome him. All the girls, the bridesmaids, jumped up and they trimmed their lamps. Then the five who hadn't any oil begged the others to share with them for their lamps were going out. But the others replied, we haven't enough. Go instead to the shops and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five returned, they stood outside calling, sir, open the door for us. But he called back, this is the gatekeeper, go away, it's too late. So stay awake and be prepared, for you do not know the date or moment of my return. Uh, next slide, please, Brian. So let's unpack this then. Um, we need to understand what the nature of a Jewish wedding was in that day and age. Um, the bridesmaids would uh, gather on the day of the wedding and they would prepare themselves and they would have a bit of a party with the bride-to-be. And then in the evening, the idea was that the groom, after dark on that particular evening, would come and claim his bride-to-be. And that would then be the start of the wedding festivities. Um, now, that was after dark, okay? don't have street lights in that day and age. So you had the bridesmaids with their lamps, burning olive oil with a wick. Um, they would go out into the streets and they would greet the groom and guide the way. So that was the very important job that the bridesmaids had. So the bridesmaids, in the parable that Jesus tells, they go out with their lamps. Now, the groom is delayed. Don't know why. Can happen. The bridesmaids fall asleep, sit down and fall asleep. Then they wake up at midnight. Somebody cries, the groom's coming. Half of the bridesmaids, well, they've got a plentiful supply of oil with them. Maybe they filled their little lamps to the full, or maybe they'd got some jars with refills. So they were fine. Now, the other half of the bridesmaids are the foolish ones. They did have loads of olive oil, presumably, when they made their preparations. It's not in short supply. But 
either they hadn't filled their lamps to the full or they hadn't taken a reserve in separate jars. They were expecting the groom would come well, fairly soon after dark. So they were just sort of doing the bare minimum, if you like. The wise bridesmaids were the ones who'd thought, mm, hang on, take a wrap around the arm. Things can happen. Let's go fully prepared. So what happened? It was the wise bridesmaids who, at the end of the day, welcomed the groom and enjoyed the feast. The, the foolish bridesmaids, and they weren't sort of wicked really, were they? They were just not fully prepared. They missed out because by the time they got back with more oil, um, the outer gates had been locked as you would do for a premises in that day and age. So this was a story then that Jesus told, which would have been very familiar to the disciples, very understandable. Um, so I wonder what they made of it. I wonder what they reflected on and what they pondered on afterwards. Why did Jesus tell them that story right at that crucial time, just a few days before he knew he would be killed? Now, there is, of course, an obvious answer, and it's a correct one. The groom represents Jesus' second coming, for which mankind must be prepared, but without knowing exactly when it will be happening. Um, and it's good to reflect on that. But several commentators on this parable point out there's an additional lesson to be drawn regarding what we should do in the meantime, acknowledging that oil in the Bible often represents the Holy Spirit. So it's a lesson maybe that the disciples may have drawn seven or eight weeks after Jesus told the parable. By then, Pentecost had happened. Pentecost was the standard Jewish festival 50 days after the Passover. It was a standard Jewish tradition. But for the 12, because the 11 then had been um, joined by Matthias, this Pentecost was different. They'd experienced the Holy Spirit, enabling them to be understood by other nationalities in other languages. Uh, next slide, please, Brian. Thanks very much. So did they then reflect? Okay, Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Mm, yes, and it seemed a bit of a tall order at the time. <laughs> Taking the gospel to all nations? Hmm, us? Jewish people? But then they must have thought, well, okay, there's two ways to do it. There's the obvious standard, mm, hope it goes well, way. Or, like the wise bridesmaids, they could have thought, right, let's use to the full what is available. Let's proceed in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. So, summing up these two parables of Jesus, which are told in Matthew chapter 25, they were told to the disciples just a few days before he knew he would die. Following this day, the Gospels record only Jesus' anointing at Bethany, the Last Supper, Gethsemane, trial, crucifixion. Next slide, please, Brian. Well, we know from Acts how it actually went. The 12 at first, and then others as the apostles, and then wider believers, they were not afraid. Well, they were afraid, but they overcame being afraid. They used the abilities given to them. They worked hard. They used the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the help for their own human way of working. They delivered the goods, did they not? 
their actions were as if they took meaning from the parables Jesus told them in those critical days before crucifixion. Certainly they were good and faithful servants. They were wise bridesmaids, so to speak. So we've done the two parables and we've speculated on the inspiration that each of the disciples may have been given by those two parables. But what do the two parables mean for us now? Well, the talents parable tells us to be like the good and faithful servants. Okay, we're all different, different abilities, but everyone has something. And if the Lord calls us to do something, as in the parable, it won't be beyond us. So we mustn't be afraid or lazy, bury or ignore things. We must use our abilities. We need to be bold, use our abilities, deliver the benefit to the Lord and receive even more as good and faithful servants. And in so doing, let's be like the wise bridesmaids in the other parable. Let's live with the full help of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 has Peter saying, in effect, repent, make your commitment to Jesus, your sins will be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off who believe. The Holy Spirit is the helper, the power of Jesus on earth, in us, through us. So the message of these two parables for us is just the same as it was for the disciples, I suggest. Overcoming doubts, using our abilities in the power of the Holy Spirit. This should be for every aspect of our lives, in our families, communities, at work, and church. Well, here at NBC, we've got some gaps to fill. So hopefully in our church lives, especially as well as in our lives generally, we'll be good and faithful servants, wise bridesmaids. Amen. Could somebody let them know out the back that we're moving on to communion?